0: Our uh, scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 13. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door is already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, I just want to say it is so good to be back with you all this morning. Um, you know, just looking at right now, I just had a second of like, oh my gosh, we're, we're here uh, back together worshiping with everyone. Um, you know, I, I'm thankful, you know, for the live stream, you know, shout out to, you know, everyone that puts in so much effort into our live streams, you know, because without it, you know it'd be a lot more difficult to worship in terms of, you know, provision of, 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 of safety and so forth, but, uh, man, um, you know, I was presiding, um, you know, the past two weeks, and, um, you know, I, I love, you know, the guys that are here, you know, um, I, love, I love Pastor Tim Shin, but it's just weird when I'm presiding to him, and <laughs> you know what I mean, so uh, when I'm here together, we're worshiping together, it is uh, I, I when I say I'm thankful and I'm joyful, um, man, from the bottom of my heart, how glad we are to just come together and worship this morning now. Uh, We've been going through a sermon series entitled The Hard Sayings of Jesus. Uh, For the past few months, we've been navigating throughout the Gospels of uh, Jesus' teaching and his preaching. And the reality is that there are some hard sayings, there are some difficult truths to follow. And our passage this morning is one of those hard sayings from Jesus but it's in a sense that is so often misinterpreted, you know, in fact, in the late nineteenth century, uh, there started a, a movement, uh, it would be a dangerously false gospel known as a prosperity gospel, which in summary form, and I 'm going to highlight summary, is that says that faith becomes a force whereby we can get what we want if we pray hard enough if we Cry out to God just long enough, he will give it to us, right? And this passage today is one of those key verses for its justification. In other words, ask, seek, and knock is often a proof text for the idea that if you pray enough, he will provide with you what you're asking for. But the problem I want to highlight is this, is that this actually goes against everything that Jesus has lived for. Jesus, his life and his ministry was not for the sole purpose of giving us health, wealth, and maybe your best life right now. Rather, his life and his mission was to save us from sins, to protect us from the wrath of God so that we can have a hope of eternity with him one day which also includes the present blessings of faith, hope, and love in a broken and fallen world. The primary meaning of ask, seek, and knock has nothing to do with prayer in a way of naming it and claiming it, controlling God to give us what we want. Rather, The primary meaning of ask, seek, and knock is to remind you and I of the access we have to God as our Father and the blessings that includes in this access, and because it is promised in the person and work of His Son, Jesus Christ. So, for this morning, I have three points as we navigate through this hard saying of Jesus. First, who God is secondly what Jesus has done and thirdly how this hard saying changes us right now let's dive right in now in Luke chapter 11 the disciples are asking Jesus how to pray and we find chapter 11 we know this as the Lord's prayer our father you who art in heaven hallowed be thy name But what's interesting is that beginning in verse 5, Jesus moves from a step-by-step instruction on how to pray, and he slowly pivots a bit, and now he gives them a story. And the reason he gives these disciples a story is he wants this instruction to just sink a little bit deeper into the hearts of these disciples. This is an important detail. Because Jesus, he he knows the the disciples' susceptibility to just rule following, just in the same way he knows our susceptibility to just do things as, you know, good Christians and right Christians. He wants to make sure they're not just memorizing a a prayer. Jesus wants to grasp, uh, he wants to make sure that the disciples grasp the heart of the Lord's prayer. So, in verses five through nine, Jesus tells his disciples a story, and as it goes, well, one night a man shows up unexpectedly to his neighbor at late midnight, and he is asking for three loaves of bread ultimately because this man has nothing to give to someone that is requesting food. So, what does this man do? Is he starts knocking on the door. He starts Begging, He starts pleading for food, despite despite the fact that this man and his family are sleeping, it's midnight. If I can, uh, you know, paint this picture just a little bit more clearly. I mean, there was no Alexa to turn on the lights. There was no camera app to find out if something suspicious was actually going on. In these times, this was a time when you had to actually get up. You had to get candles to turn the light on. And ultimately, if this is at midnight in terms of request, well, everyone's now going to be awake because essentially houses during the time were just essentially one room and they shared a bed. I mean, talk about desperation from this man that is seeking bread. You must have been utterly desperate to do such a thing. But despite his ignorance, because this guy was so desperate for this food, how does his neighbor, how does his friend respond? He graciously gives the man the food that he is asking. What's Jesus' point? Jesus' point is that if a neighbor can respond with kindness, to this annoyance of a man that is desperately pleading for food, then Christians, they should be confident to go boldly before God with any need that they face, for God is more gracious and caring than any human neighbor. In other words, if such persistence can gain the response of this man, How much more boldness should the Christian go before God who is not reluctant? Verse 8 sheds a little bit of light into this. Jesus says in verse 8, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your boldness, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. See, it's interesting to note that Jesus in verse 8 says it wasn't just a relationship between two neighbors that allowed this moment to happen. Rather, it's what was, Jesus says, a boldness through the friendship that allowed this interaction to happen. And I, I want to highlight when Jesus says boldness in verse 8, you know, a more literal translation is a shameless audacity. Now, these two words in the Greek, shameless audacity, in the Greek, it actually only occurs here once in the entire New Testament. But when you look at uh, other sources of ancient literature, this shameless audacity, this boldness, it means insensitivity. It means impudence. It's describing to be one without respect or modesty. In other words, shameless audacity, it would indicate that the friend is shamelessly and boldly asking his friend for just a little bit of help. And beloved, aren't we need of a little bit of help right now? You know, I remember when I was uh, young and those times when I was really thirsty for water, but I I couldn't do it myself, right? I I was too small to actually grab a a cup to get water, and I was too scared because it was a little too dark in the night. Well, what was the first thing I did? Well, did I just ignore it? Did I just go back to sleep and pretend? Uh, Absolutely not. What did I do? I was thirsty. I needed something to drink. So without thinking, what I would do is I would... I would, I would go to my grandma. I'd poke just a little bit, and eventually I would have to just kind of shove her because she wasn't waking up. But I did what I had to do to get this cup of water. I was shameless in my approach. I wasn't worried about how she was going to respond. I, I knew that she was going to give me the water that I needed, regardless of what God-awful timing actually was shameless in approach knowing of what I needed and knowing my grandmom would get it. And in the same way, friends, just as I sought out my grandmom for water, just as this neighbor sought out for bread, God wants this type of shameless audacity from you and I right now. Jesus is saying that God wants you and I to have a boldness, a confidence, and impudence with our approach towards Him. And because, I'm gonna highlight this, that God is our Father. Look at this passage. Jesus is explicitly reminding us that God is our Father. How do we know? Luke chapter 11, the context is the Lord's Prayer. What are the first two words? Our father. Look at the story that Jesus is giving to his disciples who were the main characters. The main character was a father. Even in the latter verses, which we're actually going to go into, the, 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 the people that Jesus is specifically addressing was to the fathers of the crowd. Don't look past this. Because when Jesus is declaring, what Jesus is declaring is actually something quite radical when you think about religion today. No other religion says that you can approach God with a shameless audacity. Why? Because no other religion says that God is our Father. This is an amazing truth, but the reality is so many of us In this room right now, or if you're watching on the live stream, we don't view God as a loving father. Rather, we view God as our unapproachable boss. What are our tendencies within an unapproachable boss? We overwork. We don't do 40 hours. We do a God-awful number. I don't even want to think about what number that may be for some of us right now. You work, you work hard, you overwork, and you're often with a lack of joy. Not only are you with a lack of joy, you're probably in constant anxiety because you're worried about that project and that plan that needs to get done in a certain amount of time, and you're filled with anxiety. You're worried about job security, and ultimately you're so worried about the approval of your boss and in the same way, when we view God, God as an our unapproachable ball, not do the same things, we serve hard. We we work hard just to grab God's attention and ultimately the people that are worshiping with us right now. We make sure that we're doing all of the good Christian things that a Christian should be doing. We pray a certain amount of times. We attend church on a weekly basis. We serve in numerous uh, ministry teams. We make sure we tithe on a weekly basis. We volunteer at multiple outreach. Events and hear me, those are actually good things, and those are things that we're called to do. But what God is so concerned about right now is that what purpose are you doing all of the, these things for? Is it out of joy because you're with Him, or is it because you're worried about what, uh, you, know, you know, what happens if you're not doing these things? See, if these things that I'm referring to are being done with the belief that God is a boss, then this spiritual checklist will always lead you to this false entitlement. So when we ask, seek, and knock of our wants in light of approaching approaching God as our boss, what happens is you get bitter. You get a little angry. Why? Why? Because you didn't uh, get the thing that you thought you deserved. You didn't get the thing that you wanted. And ultimately, all of that is stemming from an unbiblical view of who God is and ultimately a false sense of yourself. Right, You have that puffed up view where you think your uh, work is actually good enough to get God's approval. You have this puffed up and elevated view of uh, yourself thinking, uh, you know, all of my goodness, well, that's good enough to gain God's acceptance. See, when we live in a way when you're just trying to obtain God's approval, this will lead our joy. This will drive our joy. And when we do that, it's always going to leave you to self-pity because of our inability to do so. And it's always going to leave you to jealousy and judgments toward others. Why? You're going to be jealous when someone is actually doing it or that's what it looks like. Or you're going to be judgmental when you see someone else not doing what uh, you're actually doing yourself. (laughs) You ever think about why church people, are so angry and judgmental is because often their faith is merely a transactional relationship with God underneath it all. And friends, what I want to say is this is not the gospel. In fact, this is what disrupts what the true gospel is. See, when you believe this false gospel of transactions to a boss so that you can receive his blessing, your faith at best is works-oriented. And all that works, all the amount of things that you're doing, is only going to discourage you. You're always going to feel inadequate when you can't fulfill it. You're always going to feel tired because you can't accomplish it. You're always going to be jealous when you see someone Doing it, and you're going to be judgmental when you realize, when you look at that person, you said you're not doing it well enough. And the question I have for all of us right now is well, how do you view God right now? Do you view God as a cold boss and you're just trying to get a spiritual raise? Maybe some words of affirmation that you're doing a good work, good job playing on those drums. Shout out to my drummer. (laughs) You're doing a great job. (laughs) Or do you view God as father? Do you believe that you're adopted into his family, that you are accepted and you are loved? Because that's what God wants you to seek him as. He wants you to seek him as a father. And what I want to let us all know right now is that this idea of God as a father, you can be assured that he always will be when you place your faith in him. And The reason why is because Jesus does it for us. This is our second point. Look at verses 11 and 12 with me. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Now, when Jesus mentions snakes and scorpions, what I want to highlight is that although snakes and scorpions often represent, you know, pain and suffering because of the threat that these uh, creatures actually have... In this passage, Jesus is actually not alluding to this present type of pain and suffering. Now, just keep tracking with me on this. I'm going to get into this a little bit. See, the reason for this, if you just reduce uh, uh, snakes and scorpions as as a present suffering, the reason why that's kind of conflicting is because then you're ultimately saying, well, God won't allow any pain and suffering in my life if I simply just ask. And we can know, we know that not only in scripture, but probably your life right now, that that just is not the case. We are filled with suffering. We are broken people that are desperately needing healing day in and day out. So this cannot be the case, especially when we think about sin as soon as it entered the garden. See, the snakes and the scorpions that Jesus is referring to and the things that he won't give to his children, what he's doing is he's specifically referring to the sting of death itself. So if you look back at Luke chapter 10 prior to this, there's a reference to snakes and scorpions as the power of the enemy. So the snakes and scorpions that Jesus is referring to right now, he's talking about the snakes and scorpions that will lead you to an eternal suffering and death. The things that will ultimately separate you from God the Father. And the point Jesus is making, if God is our Father, he will never who would never ever give you the sting of death that would separate you from the love of God. Just as no good, good father will ever abandon you, God the Father will never abandon you completely to an eternal death. Now, some of you may be wondering, well, what about that sin thing that you're talking about? Doesn't sin deserve a penalty? When we think about the doctrine of sin, doesn't it tell us that we actually deserve a punishment for our sins? Don't our, uh, our, our sins, doesn't it, uh, because of it, uh, we deserve that snake? Don't we deserve a scorpion because of the sins that we commit to our God? And the answer is Yes. We do deserve these things. We deserve the wrath. We deserve the cup. We deserve the sting. But beloved, hear me when I say this. It, that is what makes the gospel oh so very sweet. Because of God's love. Because of his grace and his mercy, he wants you more. He wants his children more. And it's because of his kindness, he wants to be a father. So, what does God do to make sure he adopts us into the family? He would send his one and true son, Jesus Christ. And it would be Jesus Christ to receive the snake. It would be his son, Jesus Christ, to receive the scorpion, the death that we deserved, so that the penalty of sin would fully be satisfied, so that you and I could have a greater access to the Father so that you and I would be his children, so that you and I would have a great intimacy that we can find nowhere else. And beloved, that is what makes that cross oh so beautiful. The cross is the proof of his love for you and I. The cross reminds us we're all of God's intimacy was so sweetly given to us and the intimacy that Jesus had stripped away from him. Did Jesus not ask, seek, and knock when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me only to be ignored? Was God not silent to him? God never gave in. He never opened the door. He left him completely shut out of his kingdom. He was left completely abandoned and forsaken with snakes and scorpions so that we would gain everything that we would need in his love, his grace, his doors wide open, wide open enough so when we're seeking him, all we have to do, knock. When you believe that Christ has done everything for you, you know, when you ask, seek, and knock, you'll begin to really believe that all you've ever been wanting, all the things that you've been searching for, all the things that you deeply desire is already in and through his son, Jesus Christ. You know, maybe some of us right now, you're seeking some approval. Maybe right now you're seeking some validation, maybe because the reality is you're not getting it in all some of those relationships that you're seeking. Well, in Jesus, God has given you a greater approval and a greater validation as his child Maybe some of us in this room right now or maybe on the live stream, you're seeking a purpose. Maybe you're seeking a calling because maybe the reality is you're, you're just not happy in your current work and home situation. In Jesus Christ, you are given a greater calling and you are given a greater purpose in his mission here on earth for the sake of the kingdom. Maybe some of us, you're knocking on God's door. You're asking, remove this current sorrow. Remove this current suffering, this thorn in my life. And in Christ, you can be assured that your pain, your trial, your hardship is not going to destroy you, but if anything, it's just opening you up for more renewal, for a greater trust and joy. Do you believe that you are a beloved child secured in his love? Because only to the extent that you trust in this will provide a confidence to challenge and confront our false beliefs of God and ourselves. And that's what happens when you receive this gospel, when you believe that Jesus has done it all, it ultimately will change how we live today. And that leads us to our final point. Look at verse 13 with me. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus here is essentially affirming that the one thing God will always give you, that God will give you an answer uh, to all of your questions and your doubts, the one thing is the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't want to you know, go into this really big and long theological debate about the Holy Spirit, but the one thing I will highlight that is true in Scripture is that the Holy Spirit is a personal help that will always lead you to the truth. John 14 says that, he is an advocate and a counselor on our behalf, the spirit of truth. Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit is God, and yet the Holy Spirit is a person. That's why when you see the Holy Spirit, it's never referred to an it, right? There's no references of it. It's not an it, but he. The Holy Spirit is personal. And because this Holy Spirit is a personal God, right, the Holy Spirit loves. What do we see? The Holy Spirit grieves. And then once again, there are countless verses on the Holy Spirit. All you got to probably do is just go on a Google Word search, Holy Spirit, you'll get the top 100 verses about it. You can do that on your own time. And I don't want to digress. But what I want to highlight is in Galatians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, it actually talks about the Holy Spirit and it actually pertains to our passage today. The Apostle Paul says this, Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. See, when the Apostle Paul, he says, you're a son and an heir through God, I I think it's really important for us to understand because the Apostle Paul is ultimately saying this because of the Holy Spirit is in you, you are given something brand new. You are given a whole new identity in Christ. He gives us the Holy Spirit to remind us of this so we can be empowered through him. Now, the Apostle Paul, I, I want to highlight that this is a real radical statement. This talk about a brand new identity, a brand new worth, was when uh, this was written during a period when daughters, they had no rights This was during times as a male-dominant society. Uh, You know, women had no real standing. So what uh, the Apostle Paul is saying is that in Christ, even daughters in these ancient times can be treated like sons. They can be treated like royalty. So there can be uh, kings and queens in Jesus Christ. See, when you accept Christ, regardless of how lowly and how terribly the world may view you because of maybe the shame that you have gone through or the sufferings that you are enduring, Jesus honors you. He accepts you. He gives you a brand new identity and worth, regardless of how anyone else will view you. God gives you a Holy Spirit so that you can live a, an spirit filled life. That through the Holy Spirit given to you, you can now live in an empowered life that is filled with I'm gonna highlight this, a joyful obedience. See, when you have a brand new identity, you believe that you are no longer a slave to sin. What this will do is it will give you a joyful obedience to his law, to his commands. Why? Because number one, you are empowered to do so. You are empowered to do so, that the Holy Spirit enables you to uh, be freed from the sin and the slavery that you are so consumed by. You are empowered. And secondly, you now have a desire to. You have a desire to. Why? Because the gospel tells us when we're loved by God as his children, now we serve. Now we obey. As opposed to you know religion, religion says I must serve and work really hard to gain his approval, to gain his love. See, we have a joyful obedience, and I'm gonna highlight that joyful. I've been highlighting a lot. There's a lot to highlight here. (laughs) Joyful obedience because it stems from a genuine relationship with the Father. It's joyful, it's not bitter right? Do we not, are we not joyfully obedient with the people that we love and we care about the most, right? When you are so tethered to someone that you're deeply rooted with, right? You experience it. You endure it. You carry the burdens. You experience the suffering. When that person is in suffering, you, you walk with them. And you say, I'm going to suffer with you. If that person is burdening, you're going to burden with them, but you do it joyfully because it's all relational. You're not doing it for their approval's sake. You're doing it because you're already approved. You're already with them. And so it is with the gospel. The gospel transforms fearful obedience to a boss to now a joyful obedience to a father. And the question I have for all of us right now in what ways in your life can you commit as an act of joyful obedience? Like if this is in any shape or form convicting us that we're adopted into the family of God, I mean, what's that one thing in your life that's making you disobedient to God's very word? What's that one thing in your life that you need to let go of because you know it's just way too important, it's way too consuming, it's way too, uh, uh, you know, um, just self-seeking and so forth. What's that one thing that you may need to consider to really just begin to let go of? That one thing that may be, dare I say, toxic in your life. I can say that just a little bit, you know. I, I say toxic because it's a, a, a word, right? That that we we often hear about, right? In our new age of you know self-help and so forth, we always hear about the word toxic, right? Making sure that you're removing the toxicity in your your life, you know. But some things, sometimes I, I, I you know, I, I really want to think about to challenge you with. Sometimes that thing that is most toxic is typically not that surrounding you. I know sometimes we look at it that way and sometimes it may be true, but sometimes the most toxic thing in your life right now is what's actually residing in your heart. What's the one thing you need to submit to God to the Father as an act of obedience? And will you consider joyfully doing it because the Holy Ghost empowers you to do so and that he calls you to do it joyfully would you consider that with me this morning to be loved by a father so that you can love him as a son I'll close with this thought as I begin to land our our time Luke chapter 11 it ultimately reminds us that God, hear me, that God will always answer your prayers. There is no such thing as an unanswered prayer. Now, it may not be what you expect. It may not be what you have hoped for, but he will always answer in a way that a father knows best. Christian thinker and author, the late J.I. Packer, he says this. God fixes our prayers on the way up. If he does not answer the prayer we made, he will answer the prayer we should have made. And that is all anyone needs to know. So approach him confidently. Approach him boldly. Approach him with a shameless audacity. Don't stop. Keep moving. Keep praying. It's not ask and seek. It's ask, seek, and knock. Keep knocking on that door. Keep processing the gospel. Keep wrestling with the character of God. Keep battling with his truth. And trust me when I tell you that it's in this process, it's in these prayers. God may not necessarily give you what you want, but he will most certainly give you what you need. And what we all need the most is Christ's love, his saving grace, so that we would always be reminded that we have Abba, Father.